Hello everyone and thank you for listening to Football A Turka. We hope you very much enjoyed our UEFA Europa League Group C preview, which of course included Trabzonspor, FC Basel, Krasnodar and Getafe. Thank you very much to Oliver Zessiger, Will Baumgartner, Alexander Johnson and Jakub Marofolo for their insights on the Group C participants. If you haven't checked that out yet, please go and download that and listen to it. It's high- I highly recommend it. I would like to say that my editing on that episode wasn't 100% how I wanted it to be. I promise that the next episodes will be a little bit cleaner. I just wanted to get that episode out as quick as possible and I wanted to start with a big team. And because of the fact that we were releasing a big transfer episode on the Black Eagles podcast the day after for Besiktas, I didn't want to start off with Besiktas, so I started off with Trabzonspor um, because obviously that's going to attract a little bit more interest than uh, probably with Shakhtar's group will, although you never know. So, release cadence today, the 9th of September, we're releasing our Group J preview, which of course includes Bashakshi here, AS Roma, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Wolfsburger from Austria. Then on the 12th, we are releasing our Group K preview, which includes Besiktas, SC Braga, Wolverhampton Wanderers and Slovan Bratislava. But please note that episode will drop exclusively on the Black Eagles feed. So that means you'll have to head over to my my other podcast that I do together with Sinan Schwording on Besiktas exclusively. Uh, you'll have to go and check out that feed, the Black Eagles podcast. If you type in the Black Eagles podcast or just Besiktas in iTunes or in any podcast uh, related apps, you should find the Black Eagles podcast as one of the first things that pops up. Um, and we will, of course, uh, be uh, once that episode releases, you can check out our social media accounts and we'll be sharing that too. But that episode will be dropping exclusively on the Black Eagles podcast feed. Then on the 15th, we will finish up with Galatasaray's Champions League preview. Of course, Galatasaray are in a very tough group with Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain and uh, Club Brugge. Uh, we're talking to Jonathan Johnson from Paris Saint-Germain, Ben Hayward for Real Madrid and Guillaume Mabe for Club Brugge. And then, of course, our very own Uzzer Dinger for Galatasaray. The reason that the Galatasaray episode is dropping last is, well, it's probably the most, without, without any argument, actually the most attractive of the groups. But also, that's not the only reason. Uh, also because of scheduling, I still have one interview left to do, and that's for Group A in the Champions League for, for Galatasaray's group. So... Uh, that's why it'll be released last. So, Galtzrite fan, fans, um, your waiting will be rewarded. Your patience will be rewarded. But please hold on a couple more days on, uh, what is it, Sunday or Saturday, that episode will release. And I promise you will enjoy it, if only for the very special intro I uh, devised for that episode. Of course, as you may have noticed, the Trabzonspor and Bishakshi here, and of course... Also, our Bishik's episode will have a very special intro specifically uh, made for those teams. So I hope you enjoy those if you're a fan of the team. Now, without further ado, we're going to move over to our Group J preview, which of course includes AS Roma from Pot 1. We spoke to John Solano 
for AS Roma. Then Borussia Mönchengladbach from pot 2. We spoke to Ronan Murphy for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Then we spoke to Bruno Botaro for Bajakshir. And finally Martin Schauhuber for Wolfsburger from Austria. I hope you'll enjoy this episode and if you do and you would like to consider supporting the podcast head over to www.patreon.com slash fault f-a-l-t and you can pledge your support for three dollars or ten dollars a month and uh, I promise you that all that money will be used to improve the podcast going forward but of course you are not obligated to do so you can always just enjoy the podcast for free but if you would like to support us in a way that's one of the ways you can other ways you can support the podcast just give us a five-star review on iTunes share with your friends and family and just spread the word Um, the more we grow as a show the 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 more shows like this we can do with really expert guests and once again before we get started i would just like to thank all our guests from last week from this episode and from our upcoming episodes once again they all sacrificed their own personal time to come and speak to us about these teams um they aren't getting paid for this neither are we of course um all the money we we get from from patreon goes straight into our hosting and all that kind of stuff but these people gave their their free time to come in on the show and 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 discuss these teams and obviously for many of them that's just purely out of passion too but most of these guys are professional journalists uh, or girls are professionals uh and you know they do this for a living too um, so a way you can show your appreciation for them is go and follow them all on Twitter. Um, their Twitter handles will be in the show notes. And also, of course, of our last week's episode, their Twitter handles are in the show notes. Go and uh, follow these folks and let them know that you heard them on Football Ala Turca and that you liked what they had to say. Now, without further ado, here's Group J of the Europa League, starting off with AS Roma. So from pot one, the head honchos in this group, AS Roma, of course, the Italian giants. And here to talk to us about AS Roma is John Solano, who is an Italian football journalist, editor of RomaPress.net, and of course, one of the hosts of the Serie A show with Chloe Beresford and Nima Tavalai. It's a great show if you're interested in Italian football, I highly recommend it. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us on the show and giving your insights on AS Roma. Absolutely happy to be here. So, uh, John, let's just get the, into it straight away. Uh, AS Roma last season in uh, Serie A, how did they manage to qualify for the Europa League? Did they get a, a group a group stage spot straight away or did they actually have to play qualifiers? Uh, so initially they, they were set to play in the qualifiers. However, uh, AC Milan, who finished ahead of them in the Serie A table, they have been having problems just like Roma uh, with financial fair play over the last few seasons. However, Milan's problems were so prevalent that they had to exclude themselves from the European competition. So this uh, this this led to Roma uh, going from the qualifying stage into the group stage and then Torino not being in the competition at all going into the qualifier stage. Uh, now they recently crashed out to Premier League side Wolves. So uh, Roma, Lazio, they are the ones currently uh, flying the flag, so to speak, uh, for the Serie A uh, in the Europa League. 
And of course, there's these eras of players where, for example, at Real Madrid we speak about the post-Ronaldo era. Uh, at Barcelona, at some point, we'll surely be talking about the post-Leo Messi era. But at, at AS Roma, of course, it's the post-Totti era. He's been retired for two years now, if I'm not mistaken. But still, yes. it's very much... The post-Totti era has begun. New stars are rising. One of which is, of course, former Bashakshihir player Cengiz Under. Um, I believe he's currently injured, but hopefully it's just a small injury. Can you tell us a little bit more about Cengiz's role in the team and the other key players of Azeroma right now? Yeah, so Under is one of, if not the most uh, important player in Roma. You could easily make that argument. Uh, unfortunately, we just found out today uh, he could miss the next uh, the next month. He could be out because of a, a an injury to his right thigh that he suffered while on national team duty. Uh, Roma are already really hampered by injuries. Uh, starting winger uh, uh, Diego Perotti is out for the next two months. Uh, Leonardo Spinazzola, who was acquired from Juve, really early in the summer the left back he is also injured so roma they're they're two matches into the season and they're already having to deal with many many injuries and the history of uh, injuries at roma is not very kind uh, i think they've had upwards of 15 to 16 torn acls in the last five years so it's an ugly and brutal history but as for the rest of the team um, it, it's interesting to see because Roma overwent, underwent so many changes this past summer. I think we're still learning who are the most important pieces within this new Roma of Paolo Fonseca. Certainly, Ed and Dzeko, you could easily make, uh, make the case as being the most important, probably right alongside there with Under. Uh, Dzeko was a guy who was linked with a move away from Roma all summer. Everybody read the headlines. Uh, he was very close to joining Inter, and then he ultimately decided to renew his contract with Roma. He's been very, very good in these two matches this season for the Giallo Rossi. Um, and then Paolo Lopez. Uh, listen, last year, uh, Roma finished outside of a Champions League place because they had <laughs> a very, very poor goalkeeper in Robin Lopez. And he was the one slated to replace Alisson, who everybody knows is at Liverpool now. And in my almost 25 years uh, of, of watching Roma consistently, I don't think I've ever seen a bigger downgrade in terms of talent or a bigger drop-off in quality in my life from when Ramon Monchi decided to sell Alisson to Liverpool and bring in Robin Olsen. So Paulo Lopez, he's done very well in these first two matches, very good with the ball at his feet. So if I had to pick a few players who were probably the most key and important pieces of the Gelo Rossi, I would probably say Under, Dzeko, and Paulo Lopez. Um, we'll see in the coming weeks if maybe that changes. A lot of the, the talk has been around their recent additions of Chris Smalling from Manchester United, Henrik Mkhitaryan from Arsenal. Certainly these two names will be put into the starting 11 of Fonseca. Um, it remains to be seen how they adapt to a new league, new language, um, new 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 style of football. Uh, but for now, if I had to pick three, I, I would say Jeco Under Paulo Lopez is the the big three and most important pieces to date for Roma. 
And one of the other big pieces that left this summer, Konstantinos Manolas, who went to Napoli, has he been properly replaced? Uh, no, I mean, listen, my, my, my general feeling from the summer uh, Caccia Mercato is new sporting director uh, Jean-Luc Petraki had a lot of work to do. Um, I don't think it can be understated that Ramon Monchi, and I'll, I'll try to be kind because he's an extremely sensitive guy and I don't want to be too harsh, um, Monchi really decimated Roma to a point where you could easily make the case that he set Roma back two, maybe three seasons just because uh, the new sporting director has to get rid of so many of these players. Uh, listen, he got rid of Robin Olsen, who arrived a year ago. He got rid of Steven Nzonzi, who arrived a year ago. He got rid of Ante Cioric, who arrived a year ago. Uh, Maxime Gonalon, who arrived in the first summer of Monchi. He had a lot of cleaning up to do, and there was only so much he could get done, in my opinion. And for me, from from my standpoint, one of the biggest regrets was they did not go for uh, a, a central defender of more quality. Listen, Chris Smalling uh, comes from a big team, obviously, a big, big league, but it remains to be seen if he can adapt to the Serie A. Uh, Premier League is much uh, much more physical, much quicker than the City A, where defenses sit back, more tactical. So I, I can't sit here and say that Smalling is uh, the perfect replacement for Manolas. Now, Manolas, like many of the, the players at Roma, had a very poor season last season. Uh, you could probably say it was his worst season since he arrived at the club. Uh, in the summer of 2014. So do I think it was properly replaced? No, but we have to wait and see what Chris Smalling does because I, I think he's the most important key to all of this. Roma did bring in Gianluca Macini, who did very well at Atalanta last season, very good with the ball at his feet, very highly rated, uh, playing for the Azzurri already, the Italian national team. So... Maybe he could be the one who takes the takes the torch from Manolas, but no, I, I don't think to date that he was properly replaced. Obviously, the biggest unknown though is Smalling. Maybe he does better than than many of us anticipate, but um, I, I I have to say from my standpoint, my expectations aren't incredibly high for him. But uh, maybe he will surprise us. Yeah, I have to say I was very uh, surprised when I saw the news of Chris Smalling going to AS Roma because he's been one of those uh, English players that have been kind of marginalized by the fans in recent history at Manchester United. Um, it's It was a little puzzling for me to see a guy like that being brought in at, at a big club as AS Roma to replace someone as Manolas, who is a high-profile player. But there's one uh, move over the summer that in particular will interest most of our listeners, and that's the one of Merchettin from Gensterwerli, a very under-the-radar player, so to speak. I, I know he's been scouted by, by Besiktas last year. They were interested in him, but the, the asking price was a little too much for, to their liking for a second-division player at the time. Um, but he's moved to AS Roma now. He hasn't played yet. But are you hearing any rumblings from his performances in training or anything like that? Yeah, so actually, um, one of the so I, I mentioned Diego Peralti earlier, um, and it was actually Chetin who was the one who injured him in training. Um, and a lot of, or I should say many fans, are, uh, they don't like Diego Peralti so much because he's injured 
has been really absent from the team for these last two or three seasons. So a lot of the, uh, we'll say, more harsh uh, Roma supporters sort of had a soft spot for Jettin after he injured Perotti. Um, listen, I, I think he, he he is one of those guys who can surprise people. And I only say that because uh, new, new sporting director of Roma, Gianluca Petracchi, has an incredible, an incredible history at buying young defenders. Uh, if you look at the Torino team that he left this past season, um, I mean, <laughs> Torino's defenders, I could probably pick two or three that immediately slot into the starting 11 at Roma. Uh, Inculu, Itzo, um, Lianco, who did very, very well uh, last season while alone at Bologna. Uh, Petraki has this very interesting and very good eye for young talent, but particularly in defense. And I, I, I do think Chetin is going to get an opportunity because, listen, right now Roma have five central defenders, uh, and Juan Jesus has not been good in the first in the first match uh, against Genoa. Roma drew three three. He was uh, Juan Jesus was terrible, frankly. Uh, you could easily make the case the worst one on the pitch. And then you have Federico Fazio, who is getting older. Uh, he renewed his contract for an additional season, but Roma like him more so for his personality and his leadership in the dressing room, more so necessarily than his performances. So that really leaves Mancini, Smalling, and then you have Cetin. And in my opinion, he is going to get an opportunity. He will absolutely get an opportunity. Now, I think Roma will be careful with him. Um, new language, uh, new environment, uh, a fan base that is very, very uh, has, has high expectations. I've always maintained that outside of Real Madrid, uh, Roma is probably the most difficult environment in all of Europe just because you have a fan base who wants to win so bad um, but has expectations that uh, you would think the club is like Juve or Milan or Inter. Um, so he's going to get opportunities. He absolutely will. I think Roma learned a lot from when Under arrived. I, I think... What they did with him was perfect. They eased him in. He didn't really start playing until his about his third or fourth month into the season, January um, 2018 is really when he came on. And I think Roma are going to take a very similar approach with Jettin. I think they're going to allow him to adapt. They're not going to uh, put much pressure on him. They're not going to count on him for the time being. But I think when we see November, December, January come around, the winner arrives. Who knows where uh, Roma are with the Europa League? Who knows, given their injury history, uh, what the team looks like? I, I think he is going to get opportunities. Um, Petraki spoke very highly of him. So it seems like they're going to ease him in. And I think that's the right approach. And I, I think with what they did with Under. Uh, that would be the right, uh, the right approach to take, and that's the route I think they will go with him. There's no doubting that they need help at central defender. We just talked about how they didn't replace Manolas. Um, who knows? Maybe Chetin could be this guy who surprises everybody, which I think seems to be the feeling amongst most Roma supporters for him. Um, from a physical standpoint, he certainly seems to have all the tools. I think it's adapting to a bigger league and. Especially the Serie A, it's, it's a particular league, it's uh, slower, it's tactical. Um, so let's see how he adapts, but I, I, I have a feeling he will get his opportunities. If you had to ask me right now, 
I wouldn't be shocked if at the end of the season we saw 15 appearances to his name because I, I do think he's going to get an opportunity. I absolutely do. And of course, with the success of Genghis Under and Meri Demiral in, in uh, the Serie A, maybe more Turkish players will come flowing in if uh, Merchetin does well too. Of course. Um, but uh, let's uh, move forward with uh, the coach, uh, Paolo Fonseca. You've already uh, spoken briefly about him before. Um, I believe he started with the job at the beginning of this season, right? Or did he... Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. So, yeah, he arrived in June. So new coach, uh, maybe it's a little difficult, but what do you feel are his plans for this Roma? How is he planning to make have them play, pretty much? What's his philosophy? Uh, very attacking, very, very attacking. We've seen it. If you if you want to get a taste of what Roma, uh, what Ice Roma 2019-2020 looks like, I would just watch the highlights from Roma 3, Genoa 3. Um, now, uh, that scoreline, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily reflect the actual match. I believe Genoa's expected goals were 1.1 in that match, but uh, Juan Jesus, who is not a good player, uh, decided to continue not being a good player and gave away a stupid penalty, made a massive mistake. Uh, so Roma ended up drawing, but um, if you just watch highlights, you can easily get a taste of what this Roma is pressing. Uh, a lot of it, very high up the pitch, uh, committing a lot of men forward, playing a very high defensive line. Th that's the easiest way I can summarize this Roma. Very attacking, um, in a way sort of similar to what we saw from the Roma that made uh, the Champions League semi-final. Um, but uh, the, the the football of Paolo Fonseca is certainly more, uh, more direct, I would say, than what we saw from uh, Eusebio Di Francesco, who'd like to play very vertical, um, which led to problems and a lack of success in the city. Yeah, because when you have defenses sitting back, that necessarily doesn't work out too well. Um, while Paolo Fonseca, you... You have a lot of men committing forward. You have hold. You have them holding onto the ball. They like possession. Um, so, I think that's what we're going to see a lot of. Um, again, for me, the biggest question mark is: Does this Roma? Do these players fit what Fonseca wants? I, I still think we have a lot of question marks. When you mention a high defensive line, uh, Federico Fazio, who has been. Uh, a first choice defender for three or four seasons now for Roma. Uh, I, I, I would say putting him in a high line isn't exactly the most uh, correct thing to do. He's extremely slow. Now he's good on the ball, very good on the ball, but uh, we have to wait and see if Roma get punished from putting him in the starting formation constantly like they've been doing. Um, perhaps that's where Smalling can come in and replace him. But yeah, I, I think we're going to see a very attacking-minded Roma, um, which is something we've seen for the past few seasons, just different variations of it. Uh, we saw it with uh, Luciano Spalletti. We saw it with uh, the aforementioned Eusebio Di Francesco. So I, I think this is similar, uh, a similar mindset of an attacking football, but approach is a bit different. So basically a team that could really overwhelm their opponents, but at the same time have some proneness at the back is what you're saying and also what we could see from maybe the Genoa game, despite... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the, the defense is going to be the biggest question mark that surrounds Roma 
this entire season and there's going to be no way around it. Um, given, again, that they like to commit so many men forward, uh, this Roma will live and die by the defense. Uh, scoring goals, in my opinion, will be no issue. It will be, will they be able to, uh, we call it suffer a little bit, the way we describe it in Italy, will they be able to suffer from teams hitting them on the break? Because we saw against Genoa, Lazio hit the woodwork four times this past weekend in the Derby della Capitale. So, Roma are prone at the back. They can absolutely be had at the back. It's simply a question of, are their defenders up to it? Do they have the quality? I've mentioned the central defenders, but there's also been problems with Alessandro uh, Florenzi on the right. Uh, Roma brought in Davide Zappacosta from Chelsea. He got injured as well this past weekend uh, during the warm-up before the match against Lazio. So Florenzi had to step into the starting formation. So there's a lot of question marks at the back for Roma. And when you you couple Fonseca's style of play with the questions of quality and fit into the style of play of Fonseca for these players at Roma, I think, again, the defense really is the biggest question mark. And I do think... Uh, they can be exploited at the back. And then let's talk a little bit about your expectations for the group. Roma are obviously uh, the main favorites in this group, but Borussia Mönchengladbach are definitely a tough opponent. Wolfsburger are a bit of an unknown, and, and I'm, I'm sure Basakshi here are a bit of an unknown too, uh, even though uh, Roma have obviously had scouts in, uh, in, in Istanbul in the recent couple of years. Um, but what are your expectations for the final standings after six match days, and do you think as Roma is, are going to take the Europa League serious? Because I believe it's been a little bit of an, an issue in the past where the Europa League hasn't been a major priority for the, for the club. Yeah, it's really been a problem too for uh, the most of City A. Uh, we have a lot of City A teams who prefer to uh, prefer to just concentrate on the league, and they sort of just punt this European competition, which um, we've seen in the last season or two, where uh, the Italian teams start to take it a bit more serious, and that has helped a little bit in terms of the uh, the the ranking in UEFA, but. I do think Roma are going to take it serious because we've heard from Pataki, from Onseca, they seem to be making this competition a priority, which is not something, to be honest, uh, that <laughs> Roma supporters are used to, as you just mentioned. This has usually been a team that, when it comes to the Europa League, if it comes to concentrating on the Europa League or getting a Champions League place, uh, which we saw during uh, during the season of Luciano Spalletti when Roma crashed out of the Europa League to Lyon. Um, Roma have showed in the past that they tend to give more priority to qualifying for a Champions League place. Now, I can't necessarily criticize them too much for that. Roma is a team that lives and dies by Champions League revenue. Roma, their financial situation is very particular. It's very sensitive. They need Champions League money. And every season they are out of that competition, um, they risk financial implications from the top down. So I understand uh, why Roma have prioritized the league in recent seasons. But I, I do think, given from what we've heard from everybody, 
that they're going to make it a priority. Now, as you just mentioned, uh, I, I do think they have a difficult group. Uh, Roma, um, except for maybe the last season or two, they always tend to get drawn into these very, very difficult groups, whether it's the Europa League or the Champions League. So I don't think this is going to be easy. And Roma, even in the Champions League, they suffer away from home. Uh, Cluj um, it comes to mind, uh, where Roma... They face these smaller teams, but they still um, they still really suffer. They still don't play well. So listen, they have to go to uh, Istanbul. They have to go to Austria. They have to go to Germany. These are not easy places to play. Now, I do expect Roma to finish at the top of the group. I do expect them to obviously pass the turn and go to the knockouts. But uh, I, I by no means think this is going to be easy for them. And I'm very curious to see who potentially joins Roma uh, from the group in the knockouts. Um, because I think Basak uh, Sahar could be very dangerous. Uh, Munchegat, Gladbach, uh, very good team from Germany. We have to wait and see. It's, it's a very particular group. Um, when we saw sort of this draw... Uh, I think Roma felt very hard done to an extent because, again, they've had very, very bad luck in recent seasons in both competitions, Europa League and the Champions League, when it comes to their draw. And I I think they were hoping for a much easier group. So um, I don't think this is going to be easy by any means. And while I do think they will pass the turn, finish at the top, if you were to tell me that Roma would finish third and not qualify... Um, I would not even be remotely surprised because this is a team where you just don't know what to expect from them when it comes to European competitions. You have no idea. Nobody expected them to go to the Champions League semifinal under Eusebio Di Francesco and, and lose to Liverpool by one goal and be one goal away from the Champions League final. Nobody expected that. On the other hand, nobody expected them to lose uh, 7-1 to Bayern Munich, 6-2 to Barcelona. You don't know what to expect from this team. And I know those results, uh, they're three or four years apart. But this has been Roma throughout their entire history. Uh, Roma lose to Manchester United 7-1 a decade ago. It's it's truly a, a, a sickness at this club. You do not know what is going to happen, particularly in Europe with them. So while I do think they finish at the top, if you were to tell me Roma finished third, they don't qualify, I would not even be the least bit surprised. Because again, this is Roma. They either exceed your expectations or they or they fall much short of your expectations. So you really, if you're a Roma supporter, you really have to be prepared for anything. That sounds, uh, those emotions sound very familiar as a Besiktas fan, John, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, that, that's it for, for my football-related questions. The final question I always ask our guests when it comes to these European previews is, do you have any travel tips for fans from Pasak Cihir, Wolfsburg or Borussia Mönchengladbach who decide to make the trip to Rome to visit uh, the away game? Oh, travel tips. Uh, the the one I always give to anybody, even when it's not a European competition, getting to the Stadio Olimpico is not easy. Um, 
The public transport is Ro- in Rome is terrible, as I'm sure anybody who lives in in a big, uh, what's the word, big big uh, metropolitan area can probably attest. Um, but Rome is especially bad. So um, I would plan accordingly. And there are everybody asks for restaurants as well. Uh, there are just so many that I can't even begin to. Uh, I can't even begin to, rec- uh, to recommend one, but there is one that uh, a former uh, Roma player, Vinci Candela, opened some years ago. It's called Quie uh, e Ora is the name of it, here and now. Um, and Candela is there often. And uh, if you ask him to sign a shirt, an autograph, uh, he's actually very kind with his time. So uh, that would be one recommendation I could give. But no, if you, if you are traveling, uh, be prepared. Uh, give yourself plenty of time if you uh, if, if you're running late. Um, I, I would try and walk very fast <laughs> because again, getting to the Olimpico is terrible. It's dreadful. I, I, I can't complain about it enough. I've done it so many times. I, I, I I'm used to it by now, but if, if you're visiting for the first time, Leave yourself plenty of opportunity and time to get to the stadium because it's it's a mess and the public transport is terrible, uh, which is one of the main reasons why Roma are uh, looking to get a new stadium and why they've been in talks for so many years to actually start building their new stadium. But yeah, if you haven't been to the Olimpico, give yourself plenty of time. That's the one piece of advice I can give because it's uh, getting there is not easy, nor is it fun because uh, between the traffic, uh, the public transport, always running late, um, give yourself plenty of time. That way you can enjoy. Thank you, John Solano and everyone. Please check out Serie A show with Chloe and Nima as well. It's a great show, especially if you're interested in keeping up to date on everything Italian football. And from pot two in Group J, we have Borussia Mönchengladbach. A tough draw for sure. One of the stronger teams in uh, pot two, I'd, I'd wager. And joining us live right now is Ronan Murphy, Bundesliga expert for Goal.com. Ronan, thank you very much for joining us. You're most welcome. Your, your pronunciation of Borussia Mönchengladbach was a bit better than my Irish accent <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Um, so Borussia Mönchengladbach are uh, coached by Marco Rose, a German coach. Uh, but let's we'll talk a little bit more about him in a bit. But um, first, let's uh, talk a little bit about how Mönchengladbach managed to get into the Europa League. So they have had a two-year absence, I believe, from Europe. Um, I believe last time they played Europa League football was still when Torgan Hazard was uh, having great times at uh, Gladbach. But... No qualifiers had to be played. They qualified directly through the league. How did Borussia Mönchengladbach fare in the Bundesliga last season and how did they get to the Europa League group stages? Yes, so they were, they almost got to the Champions League, actually. They, unfortunately, the, the last game of the season, they were playing Borussia Dortmund and had they perhaps won that by a big scoreline, they would have got into the Champions League, but they lost 2-0. And then, as well, the team that got in, Bayer Leverkusen, they had a big 5-win win, which meant they had a much better goal difference and they ended up finishing three points ahead. So... The, the last day of the season in the Bundesliga was quite interesting because there was there was a battle for fourth and there was kind of a battle for all three Europa League places. So, despite Gladbach losing the, the final game, they secured fifth spot. So that was enough to get automatic qualification into the group stage as the best German team in the Europa League this season. 
and I, I previously mentioned him just now, uh, Dortmund Azar, of course, I believe he joined Borussia Dortmund now. Um, he was a really big name. Well, of course, thanks to his brother too, but a fantastic player. Um, but Borussia Mönchengladbach aren't really a team that have necessarily really big names that I think will stand out to most people. But can you point out a few of their more key players that people really will be familiar with or should just simply watch out for except for uh, Sommer I think is probably the most famous one that I can think of just glancing at uh, the squad Yeah Sommer probably is the, the most famous and rightly so because he, <clears throat> he is a very talented goalkeeper he's probably one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga so it's no surprise and he's such an important player for Switzerland as well he will be key for them getting far in the, in the Europa League because he's such a good goalkeeper and the further they go I suppose the more pressure they'll be under but looking to replace Hazard who went to Dortmund like you said they brought in Marcus Thuram and his surname might be familiar to uh, to some of your listeners and that's because he is the son of Lillian Thuram the, the former Fran- France World Cup winner so he has huge pedigree he hasn't he's yet to score for for Borussia Mönchengladbach since moving from league on in the summer but a, a lot is expected of him and fed off French forward out of San Playa. So they kind of they kind of will be important in the group stage and hopefully they can they can get a good partnership going maybe in the Bundesliga before they they start playing in Europe because they've kind of yet to really gel properly but it's early days for them and it's it's early days for the new coach Marco Rosa as well. Yeah and tell us a little bit more about that coach Marco Rosa new coach so it's maybe a little bit difficult but can you tell us a little bit more of the type of football he likes to play and what is he trying to implement at Borussia Mönchengladbach? Yeah, so <clears throat> he's moved to Gladbach from Red Bull Salzburg where he was really successful. He was a youth coach there and he won the, the UEFA Youth League and because of that he was given the chance maybe to to manage the, the senior side and he won the league in, in two seasons in a row and he won the, the double last season so he was highly in demand and a lot of German teams were looking at bringing him back to Germany because he is a he was born in Leipzig. So <clears throat> Borussia Mönchengladbach were the team that eventually did get him and were able to to get to replace their manager with him. And they have high hopes for him. He's he's a, an attacking coach. He's a, a kind of an analytical coach. And his his assistant at Gladbach and his assistant that he brought from Salzburg, Rene Maric, is a he's known for his backstory of being a a, a tactics blogger turned coach so it, it's kind of an interesting background there and they both are kind of very tactically minded so he's trying to implement a, a kind of 4-4-2 diamond or a 4-3-1-2 at the moment a very kind of vertical approach they don't give it the opposition a lot of space in the middle of the park to try to win the ball that quickly and then attract or attack through, uh, through vertical balls or diagonal balls across the pitch and try to open up space that way so it's it's slow coming around so far, but it's still it's still early days because he's only played three games in in the Bundesliga and one win, one draw, and one defeat. So it's kind of level at the moment. But Borussia Mönchengladbach will be hoping that they can pick up more wins, obviously, and get back into Europe again this season. The word uh, laptop coach springs to mind when I hear all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he definitely is, and uh, that's kind of something that. That marriage in the system especially is is mm-hmm. kind of tar- tarnished with, but I think they're they're a bit more than that. They're kind of they're very player focused, and and Rosa especially he he doesn't mind maybe players making mistakes. He he knows that there's room for individuality and there's there's room for error with the players. So he's not kind of one of these managers that comes out after matches and he won't 
go harshly into you know on a player in the media you know, put the arm around his shoulder and he's kind of a, a people person so I think he's blending the two aspects of management well so far like you said like this that type of coaching I think uh, it tends to have a slow start but it's something where if the club and the fans have the patience it's usually somewhere you're gonna reap the rewards of that because it's implementing a system a proper system it's not just playing based on you know uh, individual quality but there's a, a proper organizational system fundamentals being implemented and that's going to hopefully for Borussia Gladbach pay off dividends in the future um, let's talk a little bit about their strengths and weaknesses so if you would have to say it's it's difficult I know with a new coach it's always tough and also with you know Torgan Hazard leaving a new young player being brought in to replace him from I think he came from Going God by the way um, yeah that's and, right yeah. Yeah. I and, wasn't uh, going to pronounce it but <laughs> yeah I'll let you do I, it. well I cheated because I recently <laughs> interviewed somebody about them so uh, that's how I knew <laughs> um, but what would you highlight as their strengths as a team, but also what are the things that, for example, Roma, Wolfsburger and Bershakshir are going to want to look to exploit? I think they have a strong midfield at the moment, and <clears throat> maybe that, that's something that that hasn't really changed from last year, because they have Dennis Zakaria in, in midfield, and he kind of picked up the, the mantle of where Granit Xhaka, the now Arsenal midfielder, picked, left off. Because they, they kind of there's a, a big similarity between the two players. They're kind of defensive midfielders, hard work and tough tackling sort of players. And yeah, and Swiss too. They're both, I think, right? they're both Swiss. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so and and they have similar enough surnames. So, so I think that there's some sort of similarity there in the way they play and and it, the the fact that one is a Gladbach player and one used to be a Gladbach player. So I, I think they have a, do have a strong midfield and. That will kind of tell in in the matches that they won't kind of concede possession a lot. They'll ha have a, a lot of the ball, and well, then hopefully they can get it forward to to the forwards. Maybe the weak link at the moment could be Fabian Johnson playing on the wing <clears throat> when he does play, or sometimes plays as a, as a fullback. The the American international he hasn't really impressed impressed so far this season, and he, he's yet to play a full match. And he was taken off again at the weekend and in whatever he was on the pitch 70 minutes or something he didn't really produce a lot and Lazo Benesh came off the bench after returning on loan and he had started the previous couple of games he had been at Holstein Kiel and he came back and he came off the bench and he kind of made a difference and got them back into the game against Leipzig with a great cross for Mbolo to finish so I think maybe he is the one the weak link if he is playing but whether whether Rosa is going to stick with him is a, is a different question because he just hasn't been that impressive in this new setup yet. Maybe he's just getting taking time to get adjust to it, like you were saying. And what are your expectations for this group when we look at the teams in, in it? Uh, Roma, of course, are a big club, which you got back to. Uh, Bashakshi here haven't had a lot of European success, and Wolfsburger are kind of an unknown. If I were to ask you, to predict uh, the final standings of this group, what would be your, your answer? Yeah, I think maybe the way the, the seeding goes might end up being reflective of how the, the group finishes up because Roma will probably defeat everybody. Or Gladbach might be lucky to take a point or maybe get a win at home, but it's, it's going to be hard for, for the three other teams to actually do anything against Roma because they have such a European pedigree and they are such a, a strong team and we've seen them 
get far in the Champions League in recent years. So the Europa League definitely is a, a tournament that they should be kind of looking to win, not just progressing the group, but to maybe go all the way. So I, I think that could be the way the, the group finishes up and it could be a battle for for third between between Pesaxa here and Wolfsburger. So uh, apologies I, if I've murdered the pronunciation of, of that there. No, that's fine. <laughs> Basakshi here, but you it was fine. <laughs> Nobody cares, they don't have any fans anyway. If it was if it was Bishiktesh then people would care, you know. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I am more I'm more familiar with hearing their name pronounced on television and pronounced badly by, by UK and Irish commentators <laughs> too. Well, thank you very much, Roland Murphy, Bundesliga expert of Goal.com. We'll be continuing our Group J preview with Bashakshir coming up next. And from Pot 3 is Turkey's very own Istanbul Bashakshir, coached by Okan Buruk. And joining us right now is Bruno Bataro to tell us a little bit more about Bashakshir. Bruno, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. So Bruno, let's uh, immediately delve into it. How did uh, Bashakshi here manage to qualify for the group stages? First and foremost, please tell us a little bit more about their campaign last season, how they qualified for Europe, and then how they ended up qualifying for the group stages of the Europa League. Yeah, Bashakshi needs a little bit of context because it's a different kind of club from the others in Turkey. It's not like that kind of uh, super fan cultures, that kind of heated culture, that welcome to hell culture, for example, uh, if you go to Galatasaray, Fenerbahce or uh, Besiktas. That's completely different because this is a club founded in 2014 and at the same time we're talking about a club that uh, had like the title in their hands last year because the club was literally dominating the season uh, they were up, I think, eight, even for eight points up uh, in front of Galatasaray. But what happened in the second part of the season was a terrible nightmare for the club because the, uh, they literally lost their form in every kind of match. They lost a lot of matches against teams that were fighting uh, against the relegation. So, uh, like decisive matches against Sivaspor and Gerstepe, they lost a lot of points and they managed to uh, keep Galatasaray in the race, which was really, really difficult because all the, the Turkish clubs had issues last year. And at the uh, last match days, I think at two match days until the end, there was a big match between Galatasaray and Başakşehir. Başakşehir went up and, um, against Galatasaray, but in the second half they lost also that match. So uh, they lost the league and basically they ended up seconds with a few points uh, to Galatasaray. And that is uh, a huge uh, problem for Başakşehir because their aim in the last years was to win the league and they never managed to do that. So um, uh, even their coach Abdullah Avci decided to part ways with the club and to leave for Besiktas. And Besiktas remains without their only one coach they had since 2014. So now uh, this is year zero for Besiktas. They decided to call Okamburuk, Okamburuk, a former also Inter Milan player. He was coaching uh, Rizespor and did a massive campaign for them. And in the last years, he has proven to be one of the most interesting coaches in Turkey. And he was uh, personally chosen probably also by Abdul Avji and the management of the club because he's uh, the kind of uh, uh, 
manager that is closest to the vision that the former manager Abdullah Avci had because he's, uh, he was working with him with the Turkish national team in 2011. So we are talking about um, a coach that might be very interesting in, in a long-term perspective. But in a short-term short perspective, what Başakşehir did in the summer against Olympiakos for the Champions League uh, first stage was far uh, from being impressive. Because we're talking about a match that was dominated by Olympiakos and Başakşehir uh, missed many chances actually, but they proved to be uh, not superior to Olympiakos. Their crucial player, as now 29 years old, is Edin Vizca. He's a Bosnian winger and he did not impress in those qualifiers. So the club now needs to move further from the uh, like uh, static tactics of the last period and they need to build something new. This is year zero for them. So that's the first time they changed the coach. And it's quite weird to say that for a football club especially in Turkey, but that's the first uh, real big change for them. So uh, now they need to build from scratch and the age of the team also last year has been a huge problem because this was the old, oldest team in Europe, I believe, and this is not getting any younger because they bought Martin Skirtel, he's 34 years old, just like uh, in the last days they did that. So in the I think in the deadline day, they did that and the player was actually like sent away from Atalanta because of uh, physical issues and now they bought him. They also bought Mehmet Topal who is 33 years old uh, and in the midfield they already had Mahmoud Tekdemir is 31 and Gokhan Inler is 35. So this is quite an old team still and the management didn't have the chance to uh, get so many young players. One is Okechukwu Azubuike, he's a Nigerian midfielder, he's 22. But uh, they didn't have the chance to buy many, many players. Much of their season depends, I think, on the new strikers. They also have Bashakshir Dembaba is 34 years old. A lot of old players, this can be an issue if you're facing uh, very dynamic teams like Borussia Mönchengladbach in the... Um, in the Europa League group, because just two teams will be passing from this group. And we have Borussia Mönchengladbach and Roma, uh, which they are clearly stronger than Bashakshir and clearly more dynamic. So this is an issue for Bashakshir and they will need to uh, solve a few riddles, I believe. The first riddle is probably uh, the striker, the main striker. They need a, a target man they didn't have in the last year. They paid quite a lot the um, form of Emmanuel de Bayor that was not anymore so continuous. So also Robinho is 35 years old. So his form was speaking in the first part of the season with Sivaspor, but at the end of the season he was quite tired. Sometimes all the responsibilities were on him and he didn't uh, get the team to perform at maximum. So uh, they missed a target man. Terribly. So they bought two strikers. Uh, one is Enzo Crivelli. He came from, um, I think, Caen in France. And uh, the other is Frederick Gulbranson from Red Bull Salzburg. They are two uh, quite unknown strikers for many people, especially in Turkey. But Crivelli has already proven to be quite an interesting signing, in my opinion. He needs to be the one that puts the game to another level. 
because if he uh, doesn't perform well, the club will have a lot of problems. They are relying, relying on him for a lot of the uh, season they are expecting because we uh, all can see uh, like other players that have been a huge delusion for the club. The massive delusion, I believe, has been Arda Turan because Arda Turan came from Barcelona with a lot of expectation and they didn't perform not even close to the level of Atletico Madrid or Galatasaray uh, in his career. He was uh, more famous for a scene that saw him uh, throwing a sock to a referee and he was uh, banned for a lot of game games after that scene. So actually, um, that was pretty embarrassing for a club that was fighting for the title. And they lost the title in that year against Galatasaray once again. And so they lost the title against Besiktas in the year before. So there, it's three years they are losing the titles. And even though in the seasons against Besiktas they had a worthy opponent, in the seasons against Galatasaray, the last two seasons, they uh, were their own reason for failure, I believe. Because they uh, started to feel quite bad starting from March. The pressure, this club can't handle the pressure. This is the history that tells it. So, because they don't have a massive bunch of fans, which is a huge uh, part of the discussion usually when uh, people talk about Bashashir. Because there are 2K yeah. fans on average every uh, league match. And also in Europe, they mm, don't manage to get huge crowds to uh, Bashashir. And I've lived in Istanbul for a summer, so I know that it's quite difficult to get to Başakşehir. I was living in the center of the city, or at least in, near the center of the city, Nörtaköy. And to get to Başakşehir, it would have taken me at least two hours or almost three hours at rush hour. So that was uh, really a problem for somebody like me that wanted to see like um, live match at their stadium as I was a curious kind of person. But even if I can think about Istanbul residents, that is not something that they would usually do. But uh, uh, if I take like the center of the city out of this uh, mindset, I can think that Pashakshi is a huge district now. It's like, I think, uh, uh, 100,000 people at least. So we're talking about a district that is big as much as my original city, uh, Bergamo, in Italy. So uh, it's, they have a big potential, but at the same time, um, they don't have the tradition. So a lot of people that are living there are, are already supporting Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas and other teams. And so uh, this is a difficult job they have as club because they were starting to be a very hated club. The, the team of the municipality and they kind of destroyed that team of the municipality stuff in order not to have political ties, at least officially. But everybody knows that they have political ties, at least their president. So it's a difficult job they have. And um, when I went there, they tried to explain me that they wanted to make it different. They wanted to, uh, to have this kind of children project. So uh, they were relying on children that were born in Bashakshir and raised there. So they could have been the first new Bashakshir supporters. They have a kind of school or like uh, they organize activities for children inside the stadium. That's pretty interesting. Also, Galatasaray have that kind of section in the Turk Telecom Stadium. So uh, it's something that in Turkey is not like um, 
uh, I think, outshined. It's pretty interesting because Turkey has always had this kind of soft spot for children. And that's the same happening for Başakşehir, but it's a difficult project because when the party, the political party will fall, what was going to happen with the club? This is a huge question they still have to answer and it will take years to know, but probably we will know. Uh, I think uh, in the meantime, we have to analyze what will happen this year because um, there are a couple of players that can change the game, at least for the moment. The first I would bet on is Daniel Alexic. They just bought him and he was a vital player for Yeni Malatya Sport, uh, a kind of Turkish outsider that last year uh, managed to qualify for Europa League. And he's one of the um, most interesting players, I think, in their um, kind of tactical game because they were they just sold uh, Marcio Soro to Göztepe and uh, Stefano Napoleone to Göztepe. They were two great backups and this team needed like new players in the offensive midfielder spots. They bought two players in the deadline days. They are Berkayus Jan from, from uh, Hamburg and uh, Daniel Alexic from uh, Malatya Sport, not uh, literally from Malatya Sport because he's from Malali, uh, from uh, Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, but he's from, uh, um, he's mostly known in um, Turkey for his time at Yeni Malatya Sport. So they have these new signings, but um, this is a difficult ride, I think, because we're talking about a club that has a lot of, lot of question marks. Like the, their fans, their tactical mindset after a new coach change, and also uh, a squad that is still quite old. And all these players that have already passed their prime, they uh, probably will not perform at their past. And even all other players like uh, Epureanu, that were massively important in the last years, they are, uh, they are getting older. So it's not easy. Even Junior Kaysara is after, like, I think, 30 years old now this season. So he was one of the best players in the last years and now he's getting older. So they will need to uh, to get some fresh air. I don't think they signed uh, enough young players in the last transfer window, but we'll see if they will, like, uh, surprise us and... Um, put off a massive European campaign and this is the next point we can talk about because yeah. they're also like in the last years Bashak they had a, best, a better squad than now and they didn't have good campaigns at all last year they lost against Pornley in summer and uh, the coach Abdul Avji uh, I think he lost uh, they, the draw at home and then they lost 1-0 away in overtime against Burnley. That was a massive delusion because that happened in the qualifying of Europa League in the summer. So they didn't even have a, a proper campaign then and they didn't even manage to win the league, even though they didn't have matching during the week. So that was quite a shame for them. And at the same time, in the season before, they, uh, they lost a very good uh, Champions League campaign because they beat Bruges and they lost against Sevilla in the last minutes of a match. They had a post uh, hit by Emre Belosolo or they would have had the chance to eliminate Sevilla. That would have been a massive, massive win for them. But they lost at the same, um, quite also deservedly because Sevilla was a big team and they managed to get to an easy Europa League group, but they were eliminated by Ludogorets. 
and that was also pretty bad as campaign. The coach Abdul Avdi was highly criticized because he fielded like the second, a kind of second team and not a uh, starting eleven. I still think that was an input by like the management that wanted to win the league. But as many football server observers know, this usually is a tactic that backlashes because it's like when you play a team, uh, you need the team to win and victories wins, they bring other victories, they bring other wins. So this mindset brought Besiktas to a very bad European campaign and also to a very bad league ending in the end because Besiktas managed to win also that league. So uh, this is like uh, this has all have been has been a lot of time with Besiktas in Europe and with their um, performances not being at the best level. Yeah. So um, this just, season just... is uh, also year zero for that. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, you spoke about them uh, not taking Europe, Europa League too serious before because they were prioritizing the title. Um, but this year, it doesn't really look very likely that Besiktas will be a serious contender for the championship because there's Galatasaray who bought a lot of really good players. They have a great squad. They're not playing great football as of yet, but that may improve. Fenerbahce are playing really good football. They have a good squad. Uh, Trabzonspor are playing really good football, they have a good squad, and Besiktas have a good squad, but their football isn't where it needs to be yet, perhaps. Um, but there's definitely four other teams that are vying for the title. Do you think Besiktas will take the Europa League more seriously this time around? Will they put in more of an effort? And how do you see their chances in a group with AS Roma, Borussia Mönchengladbach and Wolfsburg from Austria? How do you think the final standings will what do you think the final standings will look like in this group yeah that's quite interesting because uh, i think they will arrive uh, third uh, but i am waiting because it depends also on their opponents it depends especially on clubs like roma that are used to uh, win matches and to have a great history behind but um it it's like a year zero also for roma because they have a new coach they have uh, new players. So uh, if they underestimate Bashakshir, they can have a lot of problems because Okan Buruk knows a lot about Italian football because he plays in Italy. So uh, he, uh, he studies AS Roma quite well, I believe. So uh, he's ready for that match and that match would be uh, really important for Bashakshir. They are facing Genghis Sundar, one of their former players. So uh, all the club will be very motivated for Bashakshir against Roma, which is not the same case for AS Roma against Bashakshir, if you know what I mean. So uh, basically, it's uh, it's also depending. I believe Bashakshir will struggle against Mönchengladbach even more because that's a very dynamic and soft-paced team. Uh, and Bashakshir will need to uh, have the same uh, concentration against Wolfsberger. Or even some negative surprises can come. But I don't see Bashakshir going through. I hope they will surprise me and take Europa League seriously. But even though they take Europa League seriously, their team has uh, many problems and the uh, squad is getting older. So um, they will need a little bit of a miracle to get through, in my opinion. But uh, football is um, an entertaining game and it always surprises, especially Europa League. It's interesting. So uh, if uh, Wolfsberger managed to get a win and to take out some points from Roma and Mönchengladbach, that can get interesting, I believe. 
But I don't see Besiktas going through. That's my opinion, at least. I see Mönchengladbach winning the group, which may be a surprise. At the second place, I see AS Roma. And the third place, I see Besiktas. And the fourth place, I see Wolfsberger. And you already spoke a little bit about Okamburg, and you spoke a lot about his predecessor, Abdullah Avci. And the coaches are similar, but does Okamburak play the same, the exact same style, or how does he have his team play? What can AS Roma, Mönchengladbach, Wolfsburger, what can they expect from Bashakshi here, you think, in terms of tactical approach? And uh, yeah, that basically. Well, one of the few uh, things they have in common is the, um, uh, like the tactics, uh, at least the 4 2 3 1 which is uh, what they're following. But uh, their approach is a bit different because um, Okamburuk is a bit less uh, defensive maybe. Sometimes their team are like a bit more uh, open in playing. That gives uh, the opponents a bit more space and chances to score. But at the same time, um, his team, especially Rizespor, and in uh, like uh, a few years ago, also Gaziantep Sport, they were pretty nice to watch. Uh, but Okan still needs to uh, do a few steps in his career to be at the level of Abdul Avji. Because what Abdul Avji did like three years ago, two and three years ago, uh, is not still seen with Okan Buruk's Uh It's fair to say that also Abdul Avji took him at least one year to get at that level. Uh, and... That Bashakshir that was playing uh, great football against Club Rouge is probably the best version of Bashakshir ever. And uh, one of the best Turkish teams, if we just think about a, foot, a playing style in the last years. So uh, Okan still needs to, uh, to get at that level, I believe. But he has the, uh, the ideas. He played abroad, which is something not really common in two Turkish managers. He played in Italy, where uh, tactics have a huge, huge importance. And uh, so uh, he learned a lot about tactics. He was playing in an Inter that uh, was one of the best teams in the last 20 years of football, even though they didn't win a league. But that Inter team was full of also players like Daniele Adani, that now is one of the best pundits in Italy at Sky Italy. And uh, he uh, has an incredible tactical knowledge. And all the players that came from that Inter, including also Emre Belozolo, they have like um, an incredible knowledge. If you think about also Almeida, that was a uh, friend uh, with Daniela Dani, is now a successful manager. Uh, if we talk about like Latin American football. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting because that team... Uh, had something different from the other Italian teams have been following in the last years. So I believe that uh, that experience left a lot on Okamburuk and he can get what he learned there and now apply it as a team that finally has a little bit less pressure because when you are like a manager of Rizespor, it's different. But now he's a manager of Bajakshir, he doesn't have the fans expecting to win every single weekend and uh, he can have the time to build his squad. I think this is like a year zero, so that's not... I don't think the best football will come out this season. But uh, next season, things might 
get interesting if uh, Okan will have the chance to work on a long term because he can, uh, in potential, get even on a higher level than Abdullah At the moment, he still needs to prove a little bit more, but uh, his team is slowly improving. Last, like, last match day before the national team break, the team was starting to play better. Still, it's relying a little bit more too much on Edin Vista, which is still the most fundamental player of the team. And if he performs badly, as we saw against Olympiacos, Basakshir uh, don't have chances. So, yeah. that's what I think. And Basakshir had a poor start to the season, of course, as you already alluded to. They lost twice to Olympiacos in the, Euro in the Champions League qualifiers, which got them into the Europa League group stages now, of course, they directly went into the groups, they didn't have to play any more qualifiers. But they also lost their opening two matches of the season. Their first one against Yeni Malatyaspor was a 3-0 loss. Uh, Ifan Jankaveji, one of their key players in midfield, getting sent off in that one. He also got sent off against Olympiacos. Um, and then on the second match day, they lost in at a time, in the fourth minute of stoppage time against Fenerbahce at home. Uh, so they started with zero points in the first two matches and then of course they had a very late winner against against Cherbali who are currently bottom of the Turkish Super League. Um, but before we uh, finalize this Bruno one more thing you mentioned it earlier you lived in Istanbul for a year and traveling to Başakşehir here was a bit of a task if you came from the historic center of the city where most people will go for sightseeing and uh, touristy kind of kind of stuff but for the, the AS Roma and the München Gladbach and maybe the Wolfsburger fans who decide to make a trip to Istanbul in a in a short way is there anything you can say Go and see that. Go and try that. This will be a fun experience for you. Well, I would like to tell them that uh, Başakşehir is nice, but it's not like that actually. So they would need to stay in Istanbul, and to uh, if they stay one or two days, it's like the old city stuff is still very good. I would recommend them to, of course, Hagia Sophia is like uh, the best thing to see and to witness. But uh, if you don't, if you have time, also watch, like, and have the chance to go into the Suleiman Suleiman uh, Mosque, because uh, I had the chance just this summer to go there, and I was like cursing against myself because I didn't go there in all the time I was also living there, because that's the best mosque I think in Istanbul. And if you are like looking for nightlife or stuff, just uh, forget about Başakşehir, stay in Ertaköy, and enjoy uh, life and what brings life to you just also uh, forget about uh, the easiness of moving around quite easily because Istanbul is quite chaotic and full of traffic but it's the best city in the world so uh, we have the chance as European human beings to have this incredible bridge between Europe and Asia and that's not rhetoric it's the truth that is just staying there at three hours of flight from home. So this is a chance for everyone to go there and enjoy a great city. And aside from the couple of hours you will spend in Meshakshir to watch the match, <laughs> it's even though it's a very good stadium, one of also one of the uh, like it's a good stadium to watch football, I believe. But you're not going to have a dangerous match, maybe against uh, heated, very heated fans like you can have in uh, Galatasaray or Besiktas or Fenerbahce. You're not gonna have any danger, uh, any clash with uh, the other fan groups because Başakşehir will have 
just a few fans I believe so if you have like the chance to go there to Istanbul with for this match just do it and just go because uh, it, even though it takes quite a while to go to Başakşehir uh, the things you can see in just even one day in Istanbul, Galata Tower, Suleiman Mosque or Hagia Sophia and having a night in some place in Ertekoy or Besiktas that can be uh, quite enough to see and to experience. So uh, just do it and enjoy it because this is a great city. Thank you Bruno Bottaro of the zone italy um yep. <laughs> you can follow bruno on twitter his handle will be in the show notes with pot force wolfsburger from austria and joining us right now is martin schauhuber from their standard he's the editor of their standard in austria martin thank you very much for joining us and uh, giving us your insights on wolfsburger who are probably an unknown for many european football fans Yes, thank you. Happy to talk to you. And uh, you know, I, I I point I made a case out of pointing out every single time I spoke about Wolfsburger to say not Wolfsburg from Germany. Um, <laughs> it, it is rather confusing. It's a very similar name, of course. Um, but the, let's get into it. How did Wolfsburger manage to qualify for the Europa League group stage? Uh, first, tell us a little bit about their season in Austria last year, and then, of course, uh, their qualifying campaign going into the UEFA Europa League group stages. Well, they sort of stumbled into it in a way. Um, Red Bull Salzburg has been doing so well internationally that we ended up with a direct qualification spot for the third in the league, which honestly is just more than Austria should have in terms of how strong our teams are. And last season, as it is in many seasons, the teams that should be fighting for the third spot, they just all messed it up. Those are the teams that people are going to know. Rapid Vienna, Austria Vienna, Sturm Graz. They all had very chaotic seasons. And there were only basically three teams all season that played good football from week one to week 33. And Wolfsburg, we, we don't call them Wolfsburger, we call them Wolfsburger or BRC. Um, Wolfsburg was just one of those three teams, of course, much worse than Red Bull Salzburg and Las Glins, but they were comfortably in third. And they just, even until the end of the season, people just couldn't catch up to them. So now they had their first good season in a long time and they just got that direct qualification spot, which nobody could have expected at the beginning of the year their former coach played a big role in that he just because he had his system he let that system play it was consistent and it worked and yeah that's how they ended up playing in the europa league yeah, and of course, uh, Besiktas fans and, and Turkish uh, football fans in general will very much remember the big scare Lask gave Besiktas last season in the Europa League qualifiers where uh, an, I think a, a four-minute stoppage time goal from Alvaro Negredo had to uh, service to get Besiktas even into the group stages because Lask were overwhelming them in Austria. So again, an opponent not to be underestimated coming out of pot four. It could be a dangerous position like... Uh, you just pointed out, Martin, of course, they're not at that same level of Lask. But if you underestimate these types of teams, that's when you get in trouble. Um, so, yeah, uh, 
let's talk a little bit about their key players who make Wolfsburger uh, a team to watch out for. Who are the key players for Wolfsburger? Who should Bajsakir, Mönchengladbach, and AS Roma fear? Well, there's I would say it's two guys, and but the, by far the most important one is Sean Weissman, the Israeli striker. They got him on a free transfer in the summer, and. I honestly do not know how anybody gets him on a free transfer and how it's Wolfsburg who gets him on a free transfer. He's scored nine goals in seven games so far. And it's not like just he's just been getting easy goals. He's just a very good football player. And he's sort of an all-around striker, like physically strong, but he can also just play football. Dangerous when crosses come in. Yeah, he's like at work. The sentence "he's too good for this team" has been said a lot, and I don't know it's, if it's maybe just a lucky streak for him because obviously we've only seen him play for a month, but that month was very convincing. And then there is Michel Lindel. Um, he's the playmaker. He's the number ten. He has lots of experience. Has played in Germany for a long time. Has played for good Austrian teams as well. Other good Austrian teams. And he, the, their game runs through him, like he drops far, he drops, yeah, pretty far, I would say, for a number ten, just to get the ball. And he is also really dangerous when it comes to free kicks, like this kind of one or two step run up free kick from just outside the box. That's his thing. And then, I would say that's all the key players. Because this is how Wolfsburg is constructed. There's not just four or five key players. It's just the team is the key player, sort of. It's unusual for them to have mm-hmm. a striker like like Weissman that's so outstanding now. Yeah, and let's talk about the system then. Uh, Coach Gerhard Struber, how does he have his team play? How does he organize his squad? And, and what makes the team uh, such a good, cohesive, collective unit, so to speak? Well, uh, if if... Uh, the fans remember the games against Lask. They know how Vyatse plays because it's very similar. Their coach is Gerhard Struber, and he's a Red Bull guy from head to toe. He's been coaching in the Red Bull Academy for a long time. Then he was coaching at Liefering. Before that, he was the co, like the the assistant coach for Red Bull Salzburg for a short time. Basically, he's been through the whole Red Bull system, and I guess that's well known because Red Bull Salzburg has played it on a very high level. It's this very intense pressing and quick attacks. Of course, with Wolfsburg, there is less offense involved in the whole system than it would be with Salzburg. But it's really just this intense pressing. And then a lot with Wolfsburg goes over the wings. That's maybe the biggest difference to how Salzburg does it. And you just don't want to play them. But the problem is, or what will be a problem for them with the system they play, is first of all, if you have good defenders, you run a lot of empty kilometers. Or if your opponent has good defenders, they just make you run. And they don't have a lot of guys. And this is an intense thing. And you cannot do this twice with the same guys every week. And I think that's going to be by far the biggest problem in the group stages. So that's both the strengths and weaknesses in a way. But exactly. are there any other uh, weakness that you can highlight? Maybe something that Roma, Mönchengladbach and Bashakshir will want to look to exploit? 
Well, their defenders are not super fast, especially the central defenders, but that would sort of be their strength otherwise. Like, they don't have a big significant weakness. This is why they succeed in the league in Austria. But I would say financials. Like, they just didn't have the money to invest in roster depth at all. So, and they, like, they should not have done it because, yeah, if you don't have the money, you shouldn't spend it. We have learned that the hard way. Yeah, and I would really say that this is by far the biggest weakness. And if even if just one guy gets injured, they cannot cover for that. So squad depth is definitely an issue. Definitely. And we, we can see also, I mean, obviously, I always say transfer marked data uh, when it comes to uh, transfer value and stuff like that should be taken with a pinch of salt. But it is uh, it is an indication. For example, here in this group, AS Roma are top with uh, more than 412 million in total market value. Then Mönchengladbach with 257. Then a, a huge drop off already to Bashakchi here who are only at 60 million. And then there's Wolfsburger who are almost at 12 million. So there's a huge gap in terms of market value finances, obviously. Obviously, uh, Roma are a massive club. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach are a big club in Germany too, with a, with a fantastic fan base and all that. So, um, it's it's in terms of that, you would think Wolfsburger will finish in fourth place. They're the obvious candidate for that. But as you just pointed out, they're a difficult uh, team to to play against. They could surprise you. Like we saw with last last season against Besiktas, and of course Lask, I believe, eliminated Basel this season in the Champions League playoffs. Yes. So, yeah, these, these this this football school that are that is coming out of Red Bull Salzburg. Because if I'm not mistaken, I spoke to to a, one of Laola once a journalist last season about Lask, uh, and uh, he pointed out, I believe, the coach was also from the Red Bull Salzburg academy. Yes. Uh, so that's a similar system they're trying to play. A very difficult uh, style of football, especially when you go into those matches expecting an easy win. Um, so, m let's get your thoughts on this this group. How will it finish? Who will end top? Who will end second, third, and fourth? And how will you? How do you expect um, Wolfsburger to come along in this group? Will you think that that they will be able to get many points in this group and uh, surprise some opponents? So. There's two unknowns for me in this. First of all, Bashakshi here is a bit of an unknown for me. Of course, the roster looks nice, but I don't think they're going to be that good, really. And I think that's a really hard question for Wolfsburg, is how much are they going to throw the league? Because if they just let their 13th to 24th guys play in the league, I would see they could easily compete for a third spot in the group, but I don't think they're going to do it. You don't want to get relegated and then be like third in Europa League, but be 11th in the league because of that. So I think they're going to let their key guys play in the league as well. And if they do that, they're going to be last in the Europa League stages. But I do think they're going to take points in more than one game. Yeah, and Bashakshir are, of and course, a little bit of an unknown. Sorry to interrupt you, but they actually used to play a very similar style than uh, the, the, the style you described with uh, Abdullah Avci as their coach, but they, he just left. He went to Besiktas. Now, Okan Burok is in place. He has a, he has a more offensive philosophy, uh, but they have had a very poor start to the season. Of course, went out against Olympiakos, and uh, then now uh, in the league, they only got their first win after two losses in the opening two match days. So... I would not be surprised for Wolfsburger to upset them 
uh, if I'm honest, especially from hearing what you're telling us. Also, if you're saying they play an offensive style, that's what Wolfsburg wants, basically. And this is also why I feel like like I just see Wolfsburg being able to take points off Borussia, for example, just because of how they play. And mm -hmm. Because Wolfsburg, like Borussia, is very similar to Red Bull Salzburg now with Marco Rose having gone there. Um, the Salzburg's coach from last year. So Wolfsburg knows how to play them. And they played Salzburg very well this season already. So I just see them like getting a draw at home or something. So it definitely won't be an easy task for uh, the teams to beat them. So who do you think will end the top in the in the group? Well, I think it's going to be Roma, but just because I feel like maybe they're going to take it serious for once. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong with that and it's just going to be Borussia again. But I'd say Roma, Borussia, Bashakshi here, I'd say, in that order. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Martin. Now, You're do you welcome. have any uh, travel tips for fans of AS Roma, Borussia Mönchengladbach, or <laughs> maybe Basakshi here that decides to make the trip to Austria? Uh, anything they have to do when they're in town there? Yeah, first of all, you're lucky you don't have to go to Wolfsburg, actually. I, I should tell that small episode because it's amazing. It tells you everything you need to, to know about Austrian sports. Um, we built a huge stadium in Carinthia, which is the region where Wolfsburg is for the Euros. It's a huge stadium and there's no first league team that plays there. So it's basically just standing there. And now would be a very good occasion, finally, to have significant games there. The problem is there's a forest in the stadium right now. Because nobody expected Wolfsburg to qualify for international competition. So there's an art project for two or three months now where somebody put freaking trees inside the stadium and they couldn't get out of the contract. Which means Wolfsburg has to play in Graz, where Sturm Graz usually plays. So people have to go to Graz, and if they go there, like, it's just a nice city, it's a student city. Just eat a lot, drink a lot, party. Don't mess anything up because Graz is nice. That's really everything I would say. Take time to like also visit some countryside spots, but not if it's November. That then it's just terrible. Don't go if it's November. <laughs> so there's <laughs> trees in the stadium. There is trees in. It's it's not Wolfsburg, Wolfsburger yeah. Stadium because the, their stadium is just way too small for yeah, Europe. Yeah, yeah. But this huge stadium in Klagenfurt, which is just a beautiful, it's it's the best stadium we have in Austria. Nobody can use it because it's in the wrong spot. And there are trees in the stadium. It is real. You could not make this up. It's everything that's wrong about Austria. That's uh, hilarious. It's uh, the best anecdote I've heard uh, throughout all these uh, these interviews. That's uh, absolutely hilarious. Well, uh, Martin, thank you very much for giving us your insights and your uh, fun travel tips and <laughs> an amazing <laughs> anecdote there at the end. Um, and thank you all for listening to our UEFA Europa League preview for Group J in the UEFA Europa League. Please check the show notes for all our guests of today and give them a follow on Twitter. And don't forget to check out our previous episode on the Europa League Group C, which includes Trabzonspor. Of course, that one dropped last week. Stay tuned for our Group K preview, which includes Besiktas. Remember, that one pops up on the Black Eagles podcast feed, not the Football Alterga podcast feed. And then finally, at the end of the week, in the weekend, we will drop our Galatasaray 
preview for Group C of the Champions League, which of course includes big hitters such as Paris Saint-Germain and the 13-time UEFA Champions League winners, Real Madrid. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Football a la Turca. Check out the show notes, share with your friends and family, spread the word of Football a la Turca, help the show grow. And we'll see you again sooner rather than later as we of course still have a transfer episode coming up this week too, which is yet to be recorded. Um, but we will, I believe we're recording that tonight on Monday. We'll be talking about the big transfers in the Super League this summer. And boy, there's quite a lot to talk about. Of course, Radamel Falcao, Daniel Sturridge, Luis Gustavo, George Kevin Nkudu, Mohamed El Neni, Steven Nzonzi. There's just so much to talk about in terms of transfers. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get it all in one episode, but that's what we're doing this week. So you're still getting a Besiktas Europa League preview on the Black Eagles podcast feed, a Galatasaray Champions League preview on this, the Football Alaturka podcast feed, and then, of course, our transfer episode. So plenty to listen to this week. Please subscribe on iTunes or on Google Play or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Drop us a review. Five stars is always appreciated. Helps the show quite a lot and of course like i said in uh, the intro go to www.patreon.com slash fault f-a-l-t if you would like to support the podcast through other means thank you all for listening and see you later